You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. It's a great honor to have you here this morning. So let's all welcome uh, Pastor Gilbert Foliente. Thank you, Pastor Neil. Uh, greetings from Every Nation Philippines, uh, Victory Philippines. Uh, shout out to all the Victory U Belt. We're here. <laughs> Uh, again, thank you, uh, Pastor Neil. Uh, Pastor Neil uh, shared a little bit about how we've uh, come to know each other. We've been uh, friends for many years. He, uh, Pastor Neil and Blanche, of course, we go way back, and we're classmates, and we're always guinea pigs, and and we've traveled together, uh, ministered prophetically in uh, our different every nation churches, uh, not just in the Philippines, but all over. And and one thing that I I really appreciate about, about Pastor Neil. How many of you appreciate your pastor, Pastor Neil and Blanche? Yeah, so we, we usually come here, Pastor June, Pastor Michael, Pastor Steve, but uh, I, I hope you get something from our preaching whenever we preach. I hope you get blessed. I hope you somehow get in something at least. But I want you to know that the most important sermons in preaching that you're going to hear from this pulpit is coming from him because he is a man who's here to serve you and to serve this city. And that's what I really appreciate about Pastor Neil. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that many a man claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. See, we live in a world that celebrates and honors people for many different things. And yet the Bible's values are very different. And the Bible talks about a faithful man. And that's a rare find. And I just want you to know that you're blessed to have a man of God was here to faithfully serve God and to faithfully serve this city and to faithfully serve you as a church no matter what happens. And again, thank you, Pastor Neil. Thank you, Blanche, for faithfully serving for the past nine years here in this city. So again, uh, let's give a, a round of applause to our pastors. Thank you for serving. As Pastor Neil have said, we're going to start off with a new series, uh, Truth Be Told, and Jesus gave about uh, around 46. Uh, there's been a debate on how many parables he gave, but about 46 parables in the Gospels. And we're going to look at some of them, eight, eight weeks. So we're going to look at eight of them. And if you are familiar with parables, parables usually embody much of the fundamental truths that Jesus was trying to teach while he was on earth. If you look at what parables do, parables are simple teachings yet memorable because most often it comes with a surprising paradoxical twist in the end. And each parable has a single meaning. Okay, so each parable that Jesus gives has a single meaning, and that's what we're going to look at today. And I think it's appropriate for us to start off with this parable that's, uh, that the Bible calls the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Now let me start off by, uh, by ask the, with this phrase, that's not fair. How many of you here have ever, at one point in your life, have uttered this phrase before, that's not fair? Raise your hand. At least at one point in your life. Okay, that's all of us. If you've had kids, how many of you have kids? How many of you have ever heard this from your kids? <laughs> Any times, they say, that's not fair. Why, would they, why, why could they watch all the movies they want and play video games 24-7, and I could only play only for 23 hours? in a day. That's not fair. Why would my neighbor get to do this and I don't get to do this? That's not fair. We've heard that from our kids. Uh, if you are a student, how many of you here are students? 
You're a student? How many of you have ever said this? You go to class, and you see that one classmate of yours never studies, never pays attention, <laughs> and then during the exam, he gets the highest grade. <laughs> He tops the exam, like, and you are, you are doing all you can to study to get that high grade, and you say, that's not fair. Or maybe you, you're working, and you work so hard, and you put an extra effort, an extra time, and then you get somebody who's promoted over you, and you say, that's not fair. Or maybe you're always on a diet. <laughs> I'm sure this is not you. This is me. <laughs> and I've got friends who could eat like five cups of rice. <laughs> Female friends, <laughs> and they could eat burgers and everything, and they don't gain weight. And I eat like two pieces of French fries. I, I gain 20 kilos. Like, that's not fair. Why is this happening? You know, uh, one of the things that I really like, I, I'm an NBA fan. How many of you are fans of the NBA? And there has been an uproar last year. When uh, Let's uh, look at this next uh, slide. When Kevin Durant... One of the best players in the world <laughs> was added to a 73-win uh, team called Golden State. And all of the NBA said, that's not fair. How many of you would say, it is just fair? <laughs> and so, this is, gonna, this is probably going to be the picture for years to come. Amen? Amen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So when, when life seems being unfair to us, the question that we need to ask is this. Does that mean that God is unfair? The parable we're going to look at today deals with the root of that phrase, that's not fair. A phrase more often used by most of us. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to 16, let me read this to you. Uh, it's a rather long uh, verse because it's the whole parable, so please bear with me. Verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last work only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Bow your heads with me as we pray together. Lord, 
we realize and we recognize that apart from you, we will never fully understand nor comprehend scriptures. So we're asking in your grace, we're asking that you'd give us a spirit of revelation. We ask that you'd open our spiritual eyes that we might see and open our spiritual ears that we might hear from you. Lord, I pray that more than just gaining knowledge, you will touch our hearts with your word. Lord, thank you. Speak to each one of us. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. The power of a parable this is, is in the design that it primarily provokes a response from the audience. It provokes an immediate response. And because it's got immediate impact. So for us to fully, not just to fully appreciate parables, but to fully understand parable, we have to understand who the audience is when the parable was given and to try to put ourselves in the place of the audience and try to feel what they feel and try to hear what they were hearing. So in this case, Jesus was talking to the crowd, but he was primarily talking to the Jew Jewish religious leaders and to the Jewish people. That was the audience. Okay? And, and if you look at this parable, there are two things we're going to look at. What truth does this parable teach about us? And the second question is, what truth does this parable teach about God? So we're going to look at those in light of this parable. Now the word for, as he started out, for is a word that's used to connect two sentences. It's a coordinating conjunction. So that means that the first verse here was connecting the last verse of the previous chapter. And the last verse of the previous chapter ended with this. The first will be last in Matthew 19 verse 30 and the last first. So that was the, and then it started with four. So that means this was the book end. This was the first phrase of the book end. And the last phrase of the parable says the last will be first and the first last. So those phrases serve as the book ends of this parable. The first phrase was the closing of the story about Jesus encountering a rich young ruler. And then he ended with that. So there, how many of you are familiar with the rich young ruler? Here's this rich man. He had everything. And he felt like something else was missing. You see, uh, a lot of people think if they have money, if they have cars, if they have possessions, if they have education, if they go to church, if they've got religion here, and they've got a little bit of spirituality, that they won't need anything else. Well, this ruler proves otherwise. You can have all the best things in life and still feel empty. That was him. And so at one time, he knew Jesus was coming and he said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm, I'm, not, I'm feeling empty. And Jesus gave the parable and after that. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, I want you to obey all the commandments. And he said, I've already done that. And then Jesus said, I want you to sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And that's when he left away sad. And Jesus ended with that phrase, the last would be first and the first would be last. Jesus laid out the demands to this rich young ruler, the demands of following him. You see, all of us are in church right now because we want to follow Jesus. Amen? But following Jesus has demands. 
And Jesus demanded that of the rich young ruler. And so he said, I'm not going to do that. So he left. He said, I'm not going to pay the price of following you. So Peter took that and Peter said, Lord, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So Peter practically was saying, Lord, I'm not like that, that person who just attended church because he wanted something from you. And then he left. When we talked about discipleship, when we talked about victory group and small group, he didn't want it. No, I'm not like that. I'm an active member of the church. I'm here before anyone is here. I'm following you. I've counted the cost. And then he said, Lord, what's in it for me? I'm the first one here. I'm the last one here. And that's practically what he was trying to ask. What's in it for me? And Jesus gave this parable. Now, what does this truth teach about us? In verse 11, it says, On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. Now, think about that term. They grumbled. But they grumbled after 11 verses. They did not grumble at first. Why? Because if you look at uh, the backdrop of Jericho during that time, Jericho was in the face of increasing poverty and joblessness. In other words, they were in bad recession. So it's hard to get a job. It's hard to get any kind of, of uh, work. And yet, Jesus hired them. And they got a job. How many of you are, how many of you are, would say that you're blessed and grateful because you've got a job? That's them. In a face of bad recession, Jesus hired them. And not only did Jesus hire them, Jesus gave them the amount of salary or income that they wanted. There was an agreement. They were praying, Lord, I pray I'm going to get a job. They got a job. And then, Lord, I pray that I'm going to get a denarius every day. They got it. So they're probably thinking, wow, Lord, this is good. This is good. This is good. Until somebody gets hired and somebody gets the same amount. Somebody gets hired again, less work, and somebody gets paid the same amount. So in verse 11, that's when they started grumbling. Now, why would they grumble? They've got a job. And they've got the salary that they've asked for. Why would they grumble? Here's the reason. The verse after that gives the reason. Here's what the verse says. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. I like what the NIV said, the translation. So when those came were hired first, they expected to receive more. Can you turn to your neighbor and tell them they expected to receive more? See, here was the root of the grumbling. The root of the grumbling was with wrong expectations. They had expected to receive more. And what was the root of the wrong expectation? The root of the wrong expectation happened because they compared themselves with what they're receiving from God, with what the other person had been receiving from God. So he looked at what he's getting from God, and without looking at anyone, he says, thank you, Lord. And then he looked at the person seated next to him, and he said, why 
is he receiving so much more? Lord, I've got a car. Thank you, Lord. And then you see another car. God, why does he have a nicer car? You've got a house, and you say, Lord, thank you. And you suddenly realize his house is bigger. One of the things that I love about Steph Curry was a great perspective. Of course, we're in Warriors Nation, so I have to <laughs> keep talking about the Warriors. Here's what he said. Because uh, Steph Curry, as you all know, has been receiving, uh, what, the third... Uh, before he renewed his contract, like the third or the fourth uh, largest uh, salary in, uh, in the Warriors team. And people, reporters have been asking him, how do you feel about that? Clay Thompson's making more than you're uh, earning. And, and Draymond Green is earning more. And all, these all people were earning more. And you're a two-time MVP. How do you feel about that? He gave a great perspective. And he said this. Let me quote what he said. Is it there? Uh, let me go over the said. One thing my pops always told me is you never count another man's money. It's what you've got and how you take care of it. And if I'm complaining about $44 million over four years, and I've got other issues in my life. I really like what he said. Do not count another man's money. <laughs> because most of the time, wrong expectations are rooted in envy. When you start looking at another man's blessing and you start looking at your own, then envy takes root. And when envy takes root, this is what happens. You grumble and you complain instead of being grateful. I was reading this and I thought, wow, this is going to be a great sermon. And then... I realized I was reading the Bible. the Bible. The Bible talks about the Bible as God's word as a mirror. How many of you have ever looked at the mirror this morning? Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> person sitting next to you is not raising his hand. Tell them it might be good next time to look at the mirror. So what did you see when you look at the mirror? What did you see when you look at the mirror? How many of you saw a beautiful or a handsome man when you look at the mirror? Okay, some of you have faith. <laughs> I love this church. <laughs> High faith, <laughs> hyper faith. <laughs> some of you, that's too hype. Uh, you look and you see yourself. And that's what I, I was preparing this. And I was preparing for a sermon and I started looking and seeing myself. See, early on in my Christian life, I've had envy. A couple of times, I felt like the psalmist in Psalm 73, when he would look at the wicked people, the non-Christians, the non-believers, and I thought to myself, here I am. I'm a believer. I'm following you. I'm doing whatever you're telling me. And those people, they're healthy, and they're strong, and they're prosperous. And I'm here, and I felt like the psalmist in Psalm 73. Little by little, I felt my foot slipping away. And until I realized God is the strength in my portion. And, and I wish, as I was reading this, I wish that's been over with. Because I've been a Christian and a pastor for many years. And then I realized this last year. <laughs> the rooted envy was creeping up in my heart. And I realized this because we, my wife and I, you see, uh, some of you know how it is to be in the Philippines. It's hard to get 
to get a house in the Philippines. You're a pastor in the Philippines. It's almost impossible. So I serve God as a pastor in the Philippines. I knew in my heart it's going to be impossible for us to have our own house. And yet last year, God had been faithful after believing God, praying God had been faithful, gave us a house of our own, a small, tiny house. But it's our own. And when we got it, we were profusely thanking God, like in tears. We were on our knees and said, thank you, Lord. And we live in a nice village. But then every day, I would drive. And I would go to work. And I would see other houses in that village. They're bigger and nicer. And I just started out with me and my wife. Oh, that's a nice house. Oh, maybe the, next time we're going to get that. Maybe. And then every day that we're driving, it slowly crept and slowly crept. And before we knew it, we knew it was creeping in our hearts. And we had, I thank God for a godly wife. <laughs> I thank God that my wife just reminded me before we didn't even have a house. Before we, we, it seemed impossible to have a house. And we're thinking, why don't we have a big house? At that point, I repented. And I said, Lord, I never want to get to that place where I would utter this phrase, that's not fair. Because you've always been fair. And how many of us have ever done that? How many of us have ever prayed? I was telling some people, you pray for a spouse. I mean, we prayed for your spouse. Okay, don't raise your hand. You pray, Lord, give me a spouse, give me a spouse. God gave it, and now you grumble about your spouse. Lord, why did you give this spouse to me? Why him, Lord? Why her, Lord? Some, some people in, uh, uh, I guess, every nation around the world, we fast every, every uh, week for a week. At the start of the year. How many of you fasted uh, at the start of this year? Joined us. And some people I know would say, Lord, this is unfair. I fasted for five, not just for five days, 40 days. 41. <laughs> he topped Jesus. Like, Jesus fasted 40. I'm going to fast 41. No water. <laughs> I just drink whatever it's inside. I, there's not, I'm going to do this. And then this guy... This guy didn't even fast. Or this guy fasted no rice. <laughs> it's not a fast. It's a diet. And then the thing that he's been praying for was, had been answered by God two months after. And there's nothing. How do we respond? Do we say, God, that's not fair? Or maybe you say, I've been serving in this church the longest. And nobody recognizes me. Or I've been putting so much work to serve people here. Nobody taps me. Do we say that's not fair? Because a lot of times, that's what the truth of this parable reveals. It reveals our hearts. And it reveals how vulnerable all of us is for envy to take a root in our hearts. Now the second part, what truth does this parable teach about God? But he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? That's the NIV. Now, 
think for a moment and and think about this scenario. If after the service, somebody goes to you and tells you, okay, you need to eat in this restaurant. That's where you need to spend your money. You need to buy this kind of car. You need to give this to someone. If somebody starts dictating to you how you're going to spend your money, how would you feel? You would feel like, oh, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you say. This is my money. I'm going to do whatever I want with my money. Now, think about this. If we have the right to do whatever we want with our own money, does God have the right to do whatever He wants with what's His? Absolutely. But too many times, we feel like it's unfair for people to dictate what we need to do with our money and our car and our possession and what we have. And yet we, that includes me, so many times try to dictate to God what to do with His resources. And a lot of times I dictate to God what to do with His resources concerning me. God owns everything. In Psalm 24, He says, The earth is the Lord and everything in it. And God has the right to give whatever He wants to whomever He wants without permission from us, and without explanation to us. If God wants to give any amount of blessing to anyone, He doesn't need our permission and doesn't owe us an explanation. And here's what this truth is saying about God. God is not unfair. God is generous. God is not unfair. God is generous. I'm sure all of you have had well-meaning friends who probably have told you, congratulations, something good happens to you. Congratulations, you deserve it. How many of you have ever heard that phrase? Congratulations, you deserve it. Because we live in a world today where we think we, we owe what we deserve. People owe us what we deserve. In fact, there's an... Uh, uh, a game show a couple of years ago here in America that says, uh, that's entitled, You Deserve It. This uh, game show. You Deserve It. And here's the problem with that phrase, You Deserve It. <laughs> the problem with this phrase, You Deserve It, is that it can easily turn into entitlement. And the opposite of gratitude is not ingratitude. The opposite of gratitude is really entitlement. When you always think, I deserve this. A deep sense of entitlement is the root for ingratitude. What is entitlement? Entitlement is practically the phrase, this is what I deserve. And because we live in a culture, and we live in an age of entitlement, it's easy to think this. Because I'm a Christian... Because I go to church every day, because I give my money, because I serve, because I do all these things for you, God, then God, you owe me because I deserve it. I've worked for it. Now God owes us something. Now question, how many of you know what we really deserve? What do we really deserve? Here's what the Bible says we deserve. For those of you who think, I deserve this, Lord. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. 
For the wages of sin is death. How many of you have, uh, how many of you would feel bad if you work and you really work hard and you work hard? Wage means salary or income. You work hard. And then at the end of the payday, pay, payday your, your boss or your employer would not give you your salary. How many of you think that's unfair? That's unfair because you work for it. So what's fair is if you work for something, you get a wage, you get an income, a salary, isn't it? And here's what the Bible is saying. You've worked really hard to deserve this. Some of you work double time for the wages of sin. How many of you are seated beside someone? Oh, you're doing extra time. When you work for something, this is what you deserve. And it says, if you sin, one sin, then you work for it, and you deserve a payment. The payment is death. Most of us have done more than one sin. And the Bible says what we deserve is death or hell. Because this is what we work for. But how many of you are glad we have a generous God? A God who said, I'm not giving you what you work for. Instead, I'm going to give you a gift. And the gift is eternal life. God is a generous God. And that's what this parable is trying to teach. God doesn't owe us anything. Instead, we owe God everything. So when life seems being unfair to us, instead of grumbling, we remember, Lord, I don't deserve anything. Lord, I owe you my everything. Now I'm going to end by going back to that phrase, that's not fair. I mean, imagine God looking at the world for many, many thousands of years, always hearing this phrase from the people he created, from the people he died for, crying out, that's not fair, that's not fair, that's not fair, looking into heaven saying, Lord, that's not fair. But you know, that phrase, that's not fair, was probably at one point was what all of heaven was saying. God, that's not fair. Lord, you're not fair. And you're probably thinking, how could they say that? All of heaven was crying out, Lord, you're not fair to yourself. Because you're leaving the streets of gold and you're going to walk the dusty roads of earth. Lord, you're leaving your divinity and clothing yourself with lowly humanity. Lord, you're not just going to live a human life. You're going to die a gruesome death. You are seated at the throne of heaven. And you'll be born in a ghetto, in a barn. And all of heaven is crying out, Lord, that's not fair. You see, God is more than fair to us. But God, at one point, was unfair only to himself. In order for us, for him to be generous to us. And the greatest act of generosity of God was in John chapter 3 verse 16 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so if things don't go the way we think they should, let's not get sad or mad. Let's not wallow in self-pity or despair. When we get to that point where we're contemplating of what should have, what could have, and what would have been, let's try to remember God being unfair to himself so that he could be generous to us. This is the message of this parable. Now question as I end with prayer. Does our thankfulness depend on our present circumstances? Or does it depend on who God is and what he has done for us? Let's pray. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Lord, you said in your word that your word is like a mirror. So Lord, I pray that as we close our eyes and reflect on your word, we would see ourselves and we would see where our heart is. Lord, we just don't want to play church. We don't want to play religious games and go to church and pay our religious duties to you. We want our hearts to be right with you. So Lord, examine our hearts and help us examine our hearts. Just like David prayed, Lord, I pray that if there's anything that is not right, that by your grace you would make it right. Let's keep quiet for a moment. And just pray, Lord, reveal to me if there's ingratitude, if there's envy creeping in, or if there's a sense of entitlement that is creeping in my heart, in all aspects of my life, Lord, I pray that you would take it out. That the only thing left in my heart would be a for an eternal gratitude to you for being unfair to yourself so that you can be generous to me. As all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, I want to pray for you. You pray that prayer and you feel like, Lord, you're, you're speaking to me. And there's a bit of envy or maybe it's a bit of ingratitude or, or just even a bit of a sense of entitlement and thinking, I deserve to be. To have this position. I, have, I deserve to be this. Let's pray to the Lord and say, Lord, take this out. As all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed. If that is you, I want to pray for you. If you feel like there's that sense that's creeping in your heart, I want to pray for you. Can you lift up your hand and, and acknowledge that? Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Thank you. A lot of hands are raised. Yes. Just in your own seat, just lift both your hands to God as an act of surrender. Lord, I surrender this to you. Or whatever that might be, Lord, it might be comparing myself with somebody else. Comparing the blessing that others have to my blessing. Or maybe, Lord, it's a sense of entitlement that's been creeping in my heart. Lord, I pray that by your grace that you would uproot it. Lord, I pray that the only thing that would remain is a, an eternal gratitude for your generosity. Lord, thank you. 
May, may we be a church that would be eternally grateful. May everything we do as Christians, serving in church, reaching out to people, being kind to others, may everything we do be an overflow of our gratitude for your generosity. And may, live out, may we live out a generous life for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray.